You're listening to the Citizens Church Podcast, a resource from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I've came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now that we know, now we all know these things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why I believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, that you will be scattered, each of you to your own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Here's the deal. In a poll of Americans from the fall, October 2020, 77% of people regardless of their income, 77% of Americans said they worry or stress to the point it hurts their life on a daily basis about money. Over three out of four Americans, doesn't matter how much they make or how little they make, worry to the point that it affects their daily life about money. In a different poll before the pandemic in 2018, Gallup said that half of Americans experience a high level of anxiety, stress, or worry that changes the course of their daily life. Over half. If you are prone to worry, you are not alone. By any means. If you're an American, statistically, you worry more than the average person on earth. And being stressed out or full of worry is a huge problem for a couple of reasons. One, it's very uncomfortable for you. It's very uncomfortable being stressed out or worried all the time. And it's probably pretty uncomfortable for those around us too, right? Second, it's not very productive. Worrying is like my grandma said, it's like being in a rocking chair. You're moving all day, but you ain't getting anywhere. Worry actually never solves problems. It creates all sorts of problems, but worry is by itself a non-action. And the last part about worry or stress, why it's so painful, is it's physically killing you. The American Psychological Association says chronic stress is a leading contributor to the six major causes of death in America. That would be heart disease, cancer, lung ailments, accidents, cirrhosis of the liver, and suicide all have chronic stress as a major factor in all of them. And while stress is literally killing us, and we're this stressed out country with a stressed out culture that makes us not a lot of fun to be around and not very productive at solving all the things we're stressed out about, most of all, chronic worry is not God's hope for your life. 
expressly in Scripture, chronic worry is not God's hope for your life. Your life is not meant to be wrapped up in worry because simply you can't follow Jesus and let anxiety be king of your life. They both can't be true. Either Jesus is king and his word is first or our own manifestation of worry, anxiety, or fear determines what we do and say all day long. As we look at this, Jesus told us explicitly in this gospel of John in chapter 14 to trust him and do not fear, but Jesus gets very specific in the gospel of Matthew. Take a look at this. Jesus says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Can I get an amen, church? Amen. And even here, God, Jesus, he acknowledges we're humans. Worry has a place in our life. He's saying there's just enough worry today for the whole day. Worry has a place in our life. And to be clear, some situations level a, a level of anxiety or anger or stress or worry. True danger brings anxiety. I remember when I was in high school and the first time I felt just the pure danger is when I was at a party and someone pulled out a gun and it was just like, oh, wow, all the adrenaline feels in the body were on fire to the tips of your toes of this is, there are not any good outcomes. It's time to run and things were just not good. Injustice or evil, it merits anger, a righteous anger that something is wrong in the world. Troubles in your life, they merit some concern. It would be weird if you wrecked your car like, oh, well, I'm bleeding. <laughs> Hope my kids are fine. Like that would be strange. That's not spiritual. That's being unaffected in life or disaffected. And same with difficulties, tend to bring some level of healthy stress. So what's the solution of living in a fallen and sometimes very scary world where worry is a part of life? What is the solution? Because God's solution isn't stoicism. It isn't just not caring about anything or choosing not to be affected. God's solution isn't just being stronger and trying harder and trying to act like nothing bothers you. God's solution isn't wallowing in our worry. It's not giving oneself over to despair and just saying, oh no, and quitting on life. But rather, God's solution is a peace that only comes from Jesus and the world quite simply cannot give you, no matter how, what product or advertisement or philosophy promises you, Jesus says, peace comes from me only. A true peace that surpasses all understanding. Look with me at verse 33. Jesus says, I have said these things to you. Kind of his summary statement of the past four chapters in the gospel of John. That in me, in Jesus you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. Another word for troubles, afflictions, difficulties. But in me, you can have peace. The world understands peace as the absence of conflict. That's the goal of peace in the world. We're not at war. We're not fighting. We're obeying the law, whatever that means. But Jesus says, he gives us peace of himself that guarantees tribulation or troubles in the world. 
Jesus' peace is okay with conflict because you have Jesus. And Jesus backs this up and builds on this because he wants us to see the summary of the past four chapters can all be summed up. This is his last words to the disciples in an upper room after dinner, after the last summer. He's getting arrested right here in about a chapter and a half. A couple hours, things are gonna go down. And Jesus wants us to know that we can have peace, real peace in Jesus, both for the disciples when he gets arrested and murdered on a cross and for us today as the troubles inevitably come to you or maybe are already here. And Jesus shows us how this peace works, that there's a role that God the Father plays in the peace. There's a role that the Holy Spirit plays in our peace. And there's a role that only Jesus plays in our peace. So that it's not just a positive thinking thing, but a reality spiritually that we can grasp and lay hold of and find true peace. Look with me. We can have peace because the Father loves us. Look at verse 26. It says, in that day, you will ask in my name. I do, not, I do not say to you that you will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. The key phrase there is for the Father himself loves you. In one way, God the Father loves the whole world. He made them and he cares for them, all people of all places. But in another special way, for those who trust in Jesus, God loves his church, those who believe in Jesus, in a more intense, personal, relational way. They can just say, God loves you, not under compulsion, but he is passionate about loving you to the point that God is not some abusive father who's going to kick you out because of your shortcomings or your failure or your worry or even your sin. Instead, sin is turning your back on God. And even if you turn your back on God, God's not turning his back on you. When he says, for the father himself loves you, means you don't get to change the equation anymore. It means you have a spot in God's house forever. Even if you walk out the house, slam the door and say, I'm never coming back, you still have a room at his house. And the father's there to welcome you back and he's not going anywhere. Well, one reason we can have this peace is because when you become a son or daughter of God through faith in Christ, you have a home with God forever. This world will cancel you, will toss you. As soon as you're not useful, it will cut you in a heartbeat. You better believe it. Every workplace that says it's more than a job, it's a family, they lie. If things go wrong, you're out the door. I hate it when like a gym or your workplace, like it's more than this. It's about this. It ain't about that. It will fold and you will be out of a job. Whoa. <laughs> Told you it's going down. So, but God's not like that. It's not a club only some are allowed in. Instead, Jesus says, whosoever believes in me may have eternal life. And that life means God, the father himself loves you. You can ask anything of dad and he's not mad at all. 
And that's the foundation of our peace that we belong to God. The second way we have peace is from the Holy Spirit who is with us. And this is from John 14, 26. I love this verse. When I taught it the first time moving through the, the gospel, we use the word advocate, but could just as easily be translated comforter. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, in Jesus' name, the Holy Spirit shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. The, at the comforter comes to comfort you. It is aptly named. Not only does the Father love you, but when you experience trouble, God longs to comfort you by his spirit. That's what we're praying for when we're hurting is God, please be with me. God, please comfort me. God, draw near to me. And Jesus' promise is I have sent my spirit to do just that. Your worst times are the big times that God shows up bigger and bigger and bigger in your life. He wants to be big when things are going well, but humans have a tendency to forget God when things go well. Just read the Old Testament. Take Old Testament survey with Andy Wood. Sign up. Every time it goes well for Israel, they're like, oh, we good. We don't need God. We'll start making it up. And every time they're brought low, suddenly they cry out. Same with us. God wants to comfort us in our highs, and often we won't let him. We keep him at arm's length. But in our troubles, suddenly he's there. And what's the Spirit do? Exactly what the Scripture says. He teaches us things. He brings all these things to remembrance, the very words of Scripture, and he teaches us more about Christ. Our knowledge of Christ should keep growing throughout our life. Not away from the Bible, but deeper in the Bible. That's what the Spirit's comforting you with. He's not saying, hey, guess what? You, you're awesome. No, he's whispering in your ear, Jesus is awesome. He still died for you and he's never walking out, period. He gives us real hope. He reminds us of the Father's love. And that leads us to the third part of this, this, how this peace is possible. God loves us. The Spirit is with us, comforting us. And we get a new promise right here in verse 33. It says, we have peace because Jesus has overcome the world. Look at verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. Take all of the emotional, spiritual center. You're a essential soul, grab that thing and believe that I have overcome the world. With all of your being, church, believe that Jesus has overcome the world. And we're like, well, what does that even mean? It means Jesus can be our peace because Jesus wins in the end. The world here, in Greek, the word is cosmos. It just means this idea, this abstract of the idea of everything in the world, all the sin in the world, all the evil in the world, all the tears of pain in the world, all the injustice in the world, all corruption in the world, all war in the world, all sickness in the world, all cancer in the world, all birth abnormalities in the world, all the children who don't get adopted in the world, every abusive situation in the world, death itself and Satan itself. Jesus says, I have overcome every single one of those things. Things. Therefore, you have reason to have peace in this life, whether it works out in this life or not. 
This isn't the only life there's ever going to be. We have eternity looking forward where Jesus is the only king for he overcame the world. That's why when Jesus rises out of the grave after three days, it establishes a faith that is indestructible forever. So he's saying you can have peace that only I can give. Only Jesus can give us this peace because he's the one who tastes death for us. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we can believe him that we'll rise from the dead. And this isn't the only life we're ever going to live. This isn't the only money we're ever going to have. This isn't the only family we're ever going to experience. This isn't the only breaths we're ever going to take. Instead, there's more to come. And death, sadness, and sin doesn't have the last word. Only Jesus will have the final word. And that's what it means that Jesus has overcome this world. Our worry has a place in a broken world. It just can't be king of our life. Amen? Because Jesus is king. So even when things go horribly, tragically wrong, we always have a hope in a future, both in this life and the next in Christ. No matter how dark the darkest night of our soul is, Jesus remains a bright, shining light, a reason for real hope. So the question becomes this, church. How do I apply this? How do I really apply other than going, okay, I'll review these facts. How do we even know if Jesus is being king of our life or we're letting worry run our life? Because if the stats I said earlier are true, then most of us are running on worry, not faith. Most Americans are running on some level of panicked worry for large parts of their day, maybe even months or years at a time, in a way that Jesus can't be king of their life. So I want to bring in a couple of terms. We're going to get some help from Dr. Brene Brown here to take a look at what it looks like when worry has overtaken a person and help ourselves diagnose, how do I live my life? The first word is this, is a word called functioning. Functioning is what a human does when they appropriately handle their roles and responsibilities in life. I'm a dad, I have kids. It would be strange if I did not love them, care for them, talk to them, treat them, teach them, grow them, love my wife, go to work. Those are just appropriately roles in my life. But when stress comes and worry comes or anger or fear gets too heavy, the temptation is to do one of two things. Instead of it continuing to function in a rational way, we either overfunction or underfunction. And overfunctioning is this. It's when stress gets too heavy, an overfunctioner, and you probably do one or the other, is probably like your go-to when things kind of go wrong. Overfunctioning brings you into a frenzy. It makes you start making decisions, switching lanes, making plans, making promises. There's no way you can keep. You start getting into other people's business. You start telling people what to do. You lose sense of boundaries. You say stuff you should never say. And you start to kind of make a mess of life by being frenzy in your activity, overcompensating for your own worry or anxiety. On the flip side, sometimes worry and anxiety hits us and we start to underfunction, And we, instead of frenzy, kind of become frozen. We can't even think about the future. We can't make decisions. We withdraw from core relationships. 
we start to have a sinking feeling of hopelessness. Maybe instead of stopping doing things, we'll do things with little productivity in and of themselves, like watching Netflix for, you know, days at a time. And we start to give ourselves over to things that really don't matter. And it's a way of pulling back from our functioning in life. And I know some of you hear all this and you're like, this is like the first time you ever got introduced to sushi. And you're like, oh man, there's a lot going on here. What's the green stuff? What's the, is that raw fish? Are you serious? You know? And I know some of y'all are kind of hitting, I'm starting your over-functioning and under-functioning cycle by like, wait a minute, this is my whole life. What are you talking about? I am constantly in people's business for no reason. I am constantly on Netflix for no reason. But instead of either... I want to give you some real good news that Jesus isn't mad at you because you're stressed. The look on Jesus's face, whether you're over-functioning or under-functioning, is the same smile of love as always. And he is inviting you, just like his disciples that are having like a, a full-fledged depression panic at the table. He's inviting them to his peace. And church citizens, Jesus is inviting you to Jesus's peace as a safe place to actually address the problems in life. Because the overfunction and the underfunction are both just avoiding the problem. That some huge problem or maybe minor problem has spun us into a worry cycle that we overfunction or underfunction as a way to just avoid dealing with the thing. And Jesus is saying, I want you to come to my peace. And in a safe place, I actually want to talk about why this spins you out so bad, because that's exactly where God wants you to grow. So when we're overfunctioning, underfunctioning, we're actually creating more problems. And missing what God actually wants to do. Like, why are you running from this thing? I want to talk about that. And welcome to my house. And it's safe here to actually talk about it. You don't have to have the right answers. You're not there to impress God. You're there to meet with a God who the Father loves you and says you have a room where the Spirit is here to comfort you. And where the Son says, I can actually help you with these problems because I've overcome the world. Church, our goal isn't to constantly question everything and my over or under functioning, but rather to dethrone worry in our life. Let Jesus lead our life and by his leadership through our problems, transform us to trust God's love, to be with God in his spirit and to actually accept and want the help of Jesus for the solutions in our life. Jesus is not Harry Potter. It's not hocus pocus. He's not here to wave or hand wave our problems, but he is here to be with us in those problems and make them an actual pathway to grow with God. So to ask yourself to simplify, am I engaging my problems, my tribulations, my conflicts, with the peace of God and then processing my worry as it comes up with God? Or am I just reacting to problems viscerally? Am I just reacting to things that come my way and my worry drives me to all sorts of over and under functioning? That's the easy question to ask. And maybe there's some places that are triggering like work or dealing with family or, or dealing with things in the home or, or, or who knows? But that's something to sort out with God. We're not going to fix it right here, but hopefully this is a platform to go and to dive into that pool of your life and start asking a couple more questions and trust in the goodness of God.
Peace in Jesus frees us from being a slave to our own fear, worry, anxiety, and stress. And I want to give you a picture of what this looks like. Philippians 4 paints this wonderful picture of what it looks like to live this out in real life. Because we can hear all this and still go, okay, okay, okay. Well, Justin, I'm underwater 95% of the time. I don't even know what normal is anymore. This is what God wants to be your normal. Look what it says. This is Paul writing. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. That's why we do Sunday as preparation for every day, learning how to rejoice always. That wants to be the default mode of our life. Not just when things are good, but all the time. Rejoice when? There we go, church. And again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. See, part of living a life in the peace of God is just being a reasonable, functional person that knows the Lord is at hand, knows the Lord is with us, knows the Lord is coming back. And under God's hand and that he's near, we live a reasonable life. That we would just look at our life and our finances and paying our, our mortgage, our rent or whatever it is and say, I live a reasonable life that Jesus is Lord and people can look at me as a rejoicing human who lives a reasonable life that God is real. Part of the reality of under and over functioning is letting it slip away that God's real in your life. That's what I mean when he's off the throne and worries on it. We are to be a people who rejoices and reasonably live with God on the throne. Verse six, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, that's asking God for things, with thanksgiving, let your request be known for God. It doesn't say that there's nothing to be anxious about, but rather we would turn that anxiety as quick as we can into prayer, into thanksgiving, into asking supplication, a fancy word for asking for help. God knows this world is hard and fallen and broken. That's why he had to die on a cross for us. He's aware. He's not saying hand wave it, ignore it. No, he's saying take it, take the anxieties of your life as fuel to go to God. Don't just pray about the good things, rejoice, but take the stuff that's bothering you straight to Jesus. He's begging you to. He's saying that is what the Christian does. Verse seven, in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, you're not gonna wrap your mind around, I am not gonna wrap my mind around perfectly the love of the Father, the comfort of the Spirit and the overcoming of Jesus today. That is the mystery we're gonna be working on for the rest of our life. That's the surpassing, the peace that is hard to understand, but you can understand enough that it can be yours that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This peace of God that Jesus is offering and Paul is talking about is a peace that actually changes how you think in your mind and believe with your heart that emotional, spiritual center of you. If you want to look more like Christ, it is to start taking the peace of God in Christ. Because when we see Jesus, he has all of his emotions. And what's he say over and over in John? Me and the Father are one. Me and God are one. I am with the Father. I only do what I see the Father doing. He's praying to the Father. To become more like Christ is to live in the peace that he is giving you. 
A lot of times we think becoming more like Christ is getting busy out there. I'm going to go fix everything. I'm going to serve everything. I'm going to be the best coworker. And that's cool, but I want it to come from the peace of God, not over-functioning because you're not like your parents or not like them. But man, I want to be like you, Jesus, and you're giving me the peace to actually do it. Can I get an amen, church? Are we pretty deep in the kitchen right now? Or like in the fridge or throwing out old mustard bottles? Throwing out all, out all the old condiments. They got to go. Here's the thing. Jesus doesn't want us to have the counterfeit. Because there's a way that we float through life and say, man, I'm just at peace. I'm just at peace. And that's what the disciples try to do. They try to kind of do a positive thinking move. And that's not what the peace of God is. Look at verse 29 with me. Gives us an example. His disciples said, ah, now you're speaking plainly, not using figurative speech. Now we know all the things. And you, now that we know, you know all the things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Which is strange since they've been walking with Jesus for three years. They've seen all the miracles. They've heard countless conversations. They know God's love for them. And now they're kind of putting a bow after it says they're panicking and in distress and crying in this room. They're like, oh, we're good now. You promised us peace. And Jesus is not going to get let them get away with the bow tie. It sounds strange even in English. Like, what are they even saying? Look what Jesus says back to them. He won't let them entertain a false peace. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come that you will be scattered each to his home and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone for the father is with me. Jesus is telling them for y'all saying, I got it and we're going to be at peace and everything's going to be fine. Y'all are going to flee me as soon as I'm arrested in like two hours. So get real, get real disciples. You have no idea what's going on. Just hang on, believe what I've said, but don't act like everything is fine. Their understanding is not complete, and Jesus is emphasizing a proverb that we should heed today. Look at Proverbs 19.2. Enthusiasm without knowledge is no good. Haste makes mistakes. And I really want to encourage this church because the disciples, they said, it's all good. And our culture has an absolute plague of positivity thinking. Now, I don't think we should just dwell on negative thoughts all day. That's not helpful. But just glib phrases that everything's going to be okay or that you're super strong or everything's going to be great are not worth finding peace and hope in. Just as the disciples say, oh, we got it. He says, no, you don't got it, but I do, and it will be fine. And I want to just point out a couple of things, the difference between the false peace of this world in God's peace, because they're very different things. I want to give you a couple examples. Here's some kind of the false pieces that the, God, that, that the world offers us. False peace says hustle culture, wealth culture. If I'm just rich enough not to worry, I'll have peace. Anybody know people who make a lot more than you? Do they seem worried? <laughs> they're just as worried as everybody else. God says, trusting God loves you and knows your needs will give you peace in your finances, whether you have a little or a lot. False peace sounds like, man, I have no relational conflict. I have no conflicts in my life. But God's peace means we're humbled by God to live out grace and truth in conflict. Sometimes there needs to be conflict when things are wrong. 
That's how abusive family systems go forward when no one's willing to have conflict. That's how workplaces go awry when no one's willing to have conflict. That's how friends grow apart when no one's willing to have conflict. God's peace doesn't mean the absence of conflict. It means we're humbled by God enough to walk in grace and truth when we do have conflict. A false peace of this world is pretending life is stress or carefree. That's probably the one the disciples are saying, ah, it's going to be fine. Everything's going to be great. God's peace is believing Jesus has overcome and can help me in my struggles. God's goal for you is not for you to grow up big and strong and not need to hold his hand anymore. God wants to hold your hand or carry you home or whatever phrase you want to call. Your goal is dependence. Dependence on God. And if dependence is the goal, then weakness is actually our friend. We just have to acknowledge we're weak and I need your help, God. I'm not strong and have it all together. And a false peace, a lot of us, the, the, a lot of us, I'll say the American culture is saying, man, if I could just retire to a boring life, I've won in the end. If I could just retire to a boring life, everything would be fine. And retirement is great, and it can be a, quite a gift from God. You do slow down. You do have health issues. But God's peace says the Holy Spirit is your rest, not just at retirement, but for all of your days. And he can direct your life meaningfully, no matter if you're employed or retired or whatever gifts you receive in this life. Church, I want to point us towards the peace of God, where we don't do spiritual band-aids on things, but we actually let God do the work where we actually let him inside and let his love and truth change us from the inside out. Our peace is anchored that the Father loves us, that the Spirit comforts us, and the Son has overcome. If you're not a Christian today, I would like to just say you're not at peace with God, at least as the Bible articulates it. And I want to invite you to trust Jesus, to establish a peace between you and God on the basis not of your goodness or works, but on Jesus's cross, that he died for your sins too. And when he rose from the dead three days later, he conquered sin, death, and Satan himself, that you can now have a new life with God and be at peace with him. If you'd like to receive this gospel, I'd love to talk about it with you right after this sermon. Church, let us pursue the peace of God in our life. Let us settle for nothing less. You've been listening to the Citizens Church Podcast. Special thanks to Murphy DX, who recorded our theme music, and to Austin Oglesby, who mastered these tracks for us. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama, you can visit us on our website at citizensbhm.com or on the usual suspects, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.